what the fuck am I watching? Well, hello. Welcome to It's Not TV. It's a podcast. This is the show where we celebrate HBO's prestige programming with subpar commentary. HBO is known for their prestige format programs, and we plan to dig into their catalog and uncover what makes them so special. Each episode of this podcast will go one by one through each series. There are so many shows available on streaming services like HBO Max, and it's overwhelming to figure out which show to watch next. So we'll be going through HBO's library of shows and tell you whether we think it's worth your time. I'm Nicole, and along with me is David. Hello, hello. So, shall we? Who's up? Nicole, we are traveling back on this episode all the way back to 2007, and we're going to talk about John from Cincinnati. Who's that? It's a terrible TV show. Yeah, it's a terrible TV show. Did you watch John from Cincinnati? Did you know about John from Cincinnati? I did. I've seen the entire series in this case live. You survived. Well, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't threatening. Uh, I have a different take on it. Did it threaten you? I feel like there were moments where my life was in danger because I might have stabbed my own eyes out. Oh. Or better yet, my own ears. So you like the show. Yeah. So... John from Cincinnati, for those that aren't familiar with the show, like myself, is about a peculiar stranger who arrives in a small surfing town, and he kind of upends everything there by getting involved with the family. It ran in 2007 for 10 episodes, one season, and I, I think there was a lot of hype about this show. The first episode, the pilot, premiered after the finale of The Sopranos. Big deal. Which is the biggest HBO show. Big deal. Yeah, You get a lead in like that, it's hard to fuck it up. Going through New York City right before it was released, there were advertisements everywhere. They were on bus stops and buses and billboards, the floating feet everywhere. So there was a lot of hype around this show. <laughs> For those unfamiliar with this, Nicole and HBO do not have a foot fetish. <laughs> it's the poster for John from Cincinnati is literally a image of a surfer at a beach with a surfboard next to them, but they're levitating. And so you're just focused on their feet lifting off the ground. The weird thing is, is this is a unexplained subplot of the show. So why are the feet floating? We don't know. The initial guess is it's brain cancer. And we'll get into that. But don't expect answers because they didn't give us any. But if you have brain cancer, do other people see you floating or do you just think you're floating? Because in this case, we all have brain cancer. And in which case, you are correct. We are all being threatened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think when the character says, because one of the characters, and we'll talk about this, floats or thinks he's floating. And he says that he can't be floating in the air. So it must be brain cancer. I think what really happened is he realized he was in this show and watching this show could give you brain cancer. So I think that's what happened is he recognized that as a viewer of this terrible, awful, no good show, <laughs> it's like having brain cancer. <laughs> so we're kind of talking trash a little bit on John from Cincinnati. But as Nicole said, there was a lot of hype. It came in after the Sopranos. So the Sopranos series finale 
long awaited Mm -hmm. uh, happened. And then immediately after it was the pilot for John from Cincinnati. So HBO's Sopranos ended up with around 12 million people watching the the series finale, which was a record for HBO. It, It held that record until Game of Thrones. John from Cincinnati, though, lost most of that viewership, dropped down to to three and a half million, which is decent for an HBO show most of the time. Uh, Shows like Deadwood and and Entourage and Ballers will average about three. But these shows are very different. Do you think it was smart to try and tie the Sopranos audience to the John from Cincinnati audience? I don't even know what kind of person I am. But no, I don't I don't think a Sopranos watcher is looking for this existential experience. They're looking for entertainment. They're looking for whackings. They're looking for really bad Italian, New Jersey accents. Yeah, yeah. Why did you tune into John from Cincinnati? What about it sort of struck you? I know there was a lot of advertising. What about the advertising that you saw, those floating feet? What drew you in? The advertising didn't do it. In fact, it was more of that situation where the guy I was dating at the time was like, oh, let's watch this cool surfer show because I'm a surfer. And I was like, oh, the show with all the advertising. Okay, sure. Let's watch it. So it wasn't anything more in depth than that. Okay. A surfing show for a surfer. Sold. Little did we know it was about surfing, but also not (laughs) at all about surfing. No. I should have watched it with the people I went to Catholic school with. Oh, geez. So the show was created by David Milch and Kem Nunn. David Milch is famous for a variety of shows. He actually, his first script he ever wrote was for the popular TV show Hill Street Blues. And he actually won an Emmy and the Writers Guild Award and the Humanitas Prize. So he came out of the gate strong. And then he wrote, directed, produced other stuff. In David Milch's situation, I feel like his success gave him license to be off the wall and creative. Whereas if he hadn't proven success, he wouldn't have had the budget or the support to create such a nonsense TV show. Somebody needed to tell him no. Yeah. And I don't think... Anyone was going to do that at HBO. Nobody was going to I, tell David Milch no. It might no. have been a, hey, I, I give you Deadwood. I give you millions of dollars. Let, <laughs> me do, let me do one of my thingy bobbers. And they're like, okay. In retrospect, Nicole, so I didn't watch the show live. I've watched an episode since to, for this podcast. But when we decided to do this, this episode, I was excited because I was a huge fan of Deadwood. And Deadwood has a certain uh, dialogue style that we're going to talk about because it's also used in the show. I was very excited going in and I kind of looked at this as like, ooh, how did I miss out on this? Even though it only had one season, I was excited to see what it was because I I have a lot of respect for David Milch and I love his work and I like his writing. And boy, yeah, he swings for the fences here, but he's it's it's three strikes. Is that is there an appropriate surfing thing? Does he wipe out? (laughs) So Kemnon was the inventor of surf noir, which is something I'm not very familiar with. But his book, Tapping the Source, was the inspiration for Point Break. And he wrote with David Milch on Deadwood. And so he and David Milch had this experience of writing together. Uh, Cam Nunn went on to also write for Sons of Anarchy. So it sounds like, Nicole, both you and I had high hopes going into this. And I think that when you look at the cast, it gets us even more hype. Yeah, of course. We start with Bruce Greenwood plays Mitch Yost. He's a surfing legend, a father of a legend. Is he a legend? Both. Yeah, he's a legend and he's a, yeah, and his son's a legend. (laughs) Bruce Greenwood's been in tons of stuff. For me, most notably, it would be Star Trek. He was, what is it, Captain Pike? Yeah, I loved him in 13 Days. He actually plays JFK. 13 Days was a Kevin Costner movie about the Cuban Missile Crisis. And Greenwood plays JFK and his accent is just fantastic. Oh, are you going to do it? 
Mm-hmm. I was going to, I was giving you a taste, but um, mm-hmm. I got nervous now. <laughs> yeah, but he does it. He does a great JFK. So that's Papa Yost. Who plays Mama Yost? Rebecca De Mornay. She plays Sissy Yost and she runs a surf shop in Southern California, border town. You might know her from Risky Business, Hand That Rocks the Cradle, Backdraft. I'm going to tell you that my memory of this television show, Sissy Yost was played by Ellen Barkin. Like, if you asked me who plays Sissy Yost, I'd be like, the mom from Animal Kingdom. It's not. Why would you do that to <laughs> Ellen Barkin? Both great actors. Don't put Ellen Barkin in this. She's she's a wonderful woman. Don't retroactively put her in this terrible show. Come on. So Papa Yost and Mama Yost, they have a son. And the surfing genes pass through. They have a son named Butchie. And he was also a surfing legend. And he was maybe even bigger than his dad. But he was an addict. And his career kind of went down the tubes. And yeah. he became a pretty terrible person. Married a porn star. Had a baby. Yeah. And so the baby he has is now a young kid who's a surfing legend who can't act. Well, he's an actual surfer. <laughs> you can't expect that much from him. Is he an actual surfer? He is. He's a professional surfer. Well, his surfing in the show is excellent. Wow. But his being a human needs work. There's like five or six times in the show where he ends a conversation by saying, anyway. Someone will like say something really dramatic. They're like, I'm going to risk my career and my money to make sure that you get to that competition. And like, he'll stare at the camera and then go anyway and like shrug. And then the scene moves on. Did anyone tell him he was acting? I think they just showed up and filmed around this kid and he was just constantly confused. And he's just like, anyway. (laughs) Yeah, anyway. So that's Sean Yost. That's the son of Butchie, grandson of Mama and Papa Yost. And our show basically kicks off with him wanting to pursue his career and his grandparents at odds because Papa Yost doesn't want to see his grandson end up like his son and get caught up in the fame of surfing and get addicted to drugs. While Mama Yost, Rebecca De Mornay, thinks that her grandson can pull through with her guidance. And in the tales of that, we've got this lesser known actor, Ed O'Neill. Oh my, so Ed O'Neill single-handedly tries to save the show. He comes in <laughs> with his and he pulls every muscle in his back trying to save this goddamn show. He plays like a former cop. He may or may not have magic powers with birds. Uh, that's not me being an idiot, gang. That is literally what the show implies, is that he may or may not be able to bring birds back from the dead. But he's like a family friend. We're not quite sure his attachment. Maybe he had something to do with Butchie in the past. But I loved him in this. Nicole, when you were watching it live, were you as obsessed with Ed O'Neill then as I am now? I definitely enjoyed Ed O'Neill's performance. I think actually individually, the performances are well done because aside from maybe Grayson Fletcher as Sean Yost, we've got people acting and delivering lines for shit that don't understand. And they're doing it really well. Yeah. Yeah. They picked a stellar (laughs) cast to deliver this nonsense. So we, we, Nicole and I in prep for this, we watched a behind the scenes video of the making of this from, from 2007. (laughs) And we got to watch the actors sit around a circle on set and listen to David Milch try to explain the script to them. And my goodness. It's worth watching more so than the show. (laughs) It's going to take a half hour to explain a one minute long scene. (laughs) But I think to your point, the cast though, those are the main folks, but we also get Luke Perry. We get Gary Dillahunt, Jim Beaver, who are both from Deadwood. We get Mark Paul Gosselaar, Zach from Saved by the Bell, 
Uh, we get Jennifer Grey from Dirty Dancing. I mean, for you, this was like a 90s. You were so excited to have Luke and Mark on this show. Oh, and that's why excited. it's weird that I missed it because I, I, I was a Sopranos watcher and I would have seen the ads. So I don't know why I didn't watch it then. Because you were zero interested in surfing. That's probably it. I'm scared of the ocean. I have the lassophobia or whatever it's called. Octopuses are terrifying and they're smarter than us and they're from an alien planet. Octopusophobia? Octopusophobia. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I'm scared of octopuses. Octopi? Octopode, actually. It's octopodes. <laughs> Octopode. That's really cool. I can't wait to teach that to my daughter. I mean, fact checked it first. I don't, I don't trust One me. of these is an octopus. Two of these is an octopode. <laughs> oh, that should be a villain. Dr. Octopode. Well, there is a Dr. Octopus. I imagine if he teamed up with another Dr. Octopus, <laughs> they could be the Dr. Octopode. <laughs> Nicole, you and I both went in hype. You had a surfer boyfriend. You've seen the ads in New York. I, 20 years later, am looking at the show and getting excited because it was from the creator of Deadwood and it had a phenomenal cast. We both went in excited. Then we got to the pilot. Pilot was directed by Mark Tinker. He had done Chicago PD, Private Practice, Deadwood, NYPD Blue. So we worked with David Milch a lot. So what happened? Because we were riding high. Everything you just said sounds great. Yeah. All the ingredients were there for the David Milch cereal. Yes. And then it was stale. Weirdo John from Cincinnati, who we haven't talked about. He's the namesake of the show. He's a nice guy. He's a nice he guy. He definitely gets my empathy. Mm. For like the first 10 minutes, yes. He seems off and you kind of feel for him, I think. I felt for him. I wanted to protect him from himself and from bad people. They imply that John from Cincinnati is otherworldly, but I, I think, Nicole, you're reading him the same way I did, where I felt he was childlike or yeah. developmentally challenged. John shows up from Cincinnati, which is referenced, but we never go to Cincinnati. He shows up mysteriously in a small surfing town. And he gets tangled up with the Yosts, who we talked about. Famous, famous surfing family. Youngest Yost wants to be a professional surfer, wants to get a surfing contract. So his grandma, Sissy Yost, is trying to help him out. But grandpa doesn't want that to happen because he doesn't want him to end up like his crappy father. And so he kind of tries to work their way around the situation. So grandma Yost arranges for the teenager to go and do his debut for a bunch of recruiters. And there's a whole bunch of nonsense B stories that go on with this. There's dead birds. There's people trying to move out of an apartment that someone may or may not have died in. <laughs> then a new guy moves into town. He used to be bullied by other people in the town, and he may or may not try to kill himself. It gets out of hand. And then everybody ends up in the parking lot of a motel in a fist fight. And then they all go to jail. Then Papios levitates. And then they all go surfing. <laughs> it's like... It's like you got high and and told me like your dreams from last night. <laughs> yeah. And Nicole, you've seen the show. I'm not exaggerating, right? This is how ridiculous it is. My husband was so pissed off watching this show. What is going on? It's baffling. And the character John from Cincinnati, who the show's based on, isn't the main character, right? He's not the protagonist. The other characters are, and he kind of falls in and out of their world. He can speak in riddles. He repeats people a lot. He has like magic pockets. So that if someone asks him for something, he can just pull it out of his pocket. So someone at one point is like, well, do you have $50? And he hands them $50. And they're like, do you have a transistor radio? And he hands a transit. Like he has magic pockets, <laughs> but he's also not all there. Like at one point he ends up at a donkey show and our faithful viewers, if you don't know what that is, don't look it up. Not on your work computer. Stay away from it. 
And then he ends up being like taught surfing by Butchie. But there's no indication that he actually wants to go surfing or learn to go surfing. So the pilot, Nicole, now I didn't watch the rest of the series, but is mm-hmm. this like how the show is? Yes. And more of the same and weirder and weirder and deeper down the rabbit hole. It's like you're swept up in Dorothy's tornado and falling down Alice's hole. <laughs> so we are very clear that this was a confusing show on many levels. We'll get into that more of it. What did the broader public think? The professionals, the professional thinkers. So it's mostly negative, but Empire Magazine, which is a, a British uh, media magazine, they had actually kind of enjoyed it. And so they said that it was resolutely unfinished by uh, dint of its being canceled. John had enough of a curveball premise to do more. A great pity. So Empire Magazine and maybe the Brits in general felt like it was a good setup. You know, they are more sophisticated over there. They are. Drinking their tea and their crumpets, maybe they had time and patience to watch this go through. I didn't, and neither did The New Yorker. So The New Yorker actually said, quote, it's maddening to see a show this bad from someone so talented. But that's how it works when you're a real artist. The person who creates Deadwood is probably going to make a John from Cincinnati one day. If you let him. (laughs) So, (laughs) Nicole, this goes back to your idea that no one told this guy no. I just think that none of it made sense. So I couldn't wrap my brain around it. And therefore I was confused and that made me uncomfortable. That's like, it's like looking at a clown. This was, this was very bad. I think you can look at it and say like the people acted well, the key grips and the lighting guys and the best boys did a good job. Like it wasn't embarrassing in terms of production value, but this was a hot fucking mess. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. No, I definitely think it missed. Uh, you're a little bit more forgiving than I am on this show. I think because your hype was live 20 years ago <laughs> um, or 15 years ago. My my hype is real and angry and recent. But David Milch certainly had something he was trying to achieve. And I know he's talked about it. What, what was like, what was he going for here? So Milch's weird thoughts on the show as he was interviewed. I think this was Letterman or Kimmel. I'm not really sure who, but he tries to explain it to them. So Milch says, it's really about the cultural malaise which prevails in our country, whereby every experience is turned to an article of commerce. We live by a set of illusions or self-deceptions, which we feel are necessary in order to encounter the culture. I find something beautiful about our capacity for denial and self-deception. He's explaining a TV show. Yeah. It sounds like he was explaining his breakup. Is You watched the entire series. Did you get this? That it's about cultural malaise and, and how you're self-decepting each other? Like, I don't, I didn't get that from the pilot. No, I mean, they definitely get into like parallels and terrorism and like Noah's Ark type stuff. Like, we're going to wipe everybody out if you don't get your shit together, people. It's coming, so you need to change. But I don't think that this describes the show. I don't think it describes yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's So I went to film school, Nicole. It feels to me like when I turned in a project and my teacher hated it, and I was like, well, you didn't understand it. <sighs> and then I try to sell it. I feel like that's what this is, is the, this show doesn't suck. You don't understand what it's really about. I don't know what it's like, but what it feels like is when you go to like, a coffee shop where they're doing like a poetry reading and you're standing with a bunch of people you don't know or you went with like one person that you know and there's this like decently good looking guy and he's like spouting off all of this and you just think he's so smart 
because you don't understand anything <laughs> he says and it makes you feel really bad about yourself. But I mean, you read that quote and I get it, right? And like you mentioned, they they tackle some terrorism later on and some apocalyptic themes and shit. But I mean, essentially, it's a surfing show, right? It's a surfing show, but it's not a surfing show. Milch says it's not about surfing. It's about a family who happens to surf. Oh. Surfing, the infinite boredom of surfing, that is the challenge of surfing. Why do they do it? When you become an adolescent, that is the first time you feel your power, like you can shape your environment. When a surfer first gets up on a wave, they have the same feeling, the same experience each time. What do you do with that feeling? There's a confounding repetitiveness they have to deal with. Surfers have something in common with our culture, which has a tremendous engine of power and doesn't know what to do with it. A tremendous engine of power and doesn't know what to do with it describes David Milch in this show. He has this entire cast and a location and cameras. He doesn't know what the fuck to do with it. <laughs> David Milch, I love you. I've watched Deadwood multiple times, but come on. Yeah. And with that, let's talk about our favorite surf movies. There are good surf movies. They exist. <laughs> there there are. This show isn't it. So I I am not a big surfer. I grew up in Philadelphia. We don't surf there. You don't get attacked by sharks and stuff, but you would probably get attacked by a six-pack can plastic holder. <laughs> so we don't surf in Philadelphia. But I tell you, The Shallows with Blake Lively is an amazing movie. So I went into that movie, Nicole. Thinking Blake Lively's an attractive young lady. It's got a shark in it. Oh, this will be kind of useless and trashy. But it's surprisingly really good. She's great in it. And she fights a shark and she tries to swim back. And, and she's got to like, it's it's really about timing. Like she has to like time her swims to avoid the shark. David, this is not a surfing movie. This is about a girl who gets trapped on a buoy and is being hunted by a shark who happens to surf. <laughs> Or have been surfing. Okay. The movie is not about surfing. About surfing. Okay, listen. So she is surfing. She went to this place to surf because her mom used to surf on this beach. She goes to this beach with a surfboard in a surf outfit. She's sending videos back to people of her surfing. And like the first 20 minutes are her surfing and catching waves and talking to other dudes who are surfing. And then a shark like sharks do, attacks her. And then she is stuck with her surfboard, which she uses as like a weapon against the shark. And then the final scene of the movie, spoiler alert, is her surfing again, redemptive. If you open and close with surfing and use a surfboard as a weapon, you are a surf movie. Blue Crush is a, is a surf movie. Point Break is a surf movie. Those are movies about Hold surfing. On. If Point Break is about robbing a bank and two men falling no. in love. They if happened. The Shallows isn't about surfing, neither is Point Break. I got <laughs> news for you. to rob banks. It is about surfing. She happens to fight a shark and it's about surfing. Okay. You can have it. So for my favorite surfing movie, I wanted to be different, but I can't because it is what it is. Point Break, Brody, you died. Rather than being in the cage of jail, you died doing what you love. Sometimes that's just more important. And I wish for your sake that John's father was there to help you whenever you finish that wave. I don't know what's happening right now. You're having a very private moment with the ghost of Patrick Swayze. <laughs> and I just... I love Patrick full Swayze. Full respect. I just want to stay out of the way. At any minute, you're going to start doing pottery. Don't put me in a corner. And I just want to stay out of the way. Let you have your moment. No, but like at the end, he surfs and then he presumably dies to escape going to jail. 
And I'm just saying that if John from Cincinnati's father was there, he could have saved him. Mm. I would rather go to jail than surf. Wow. If those are my options, I would not pull a Brody and die in the surf. I would go to jail. I think I would also I would rather go to jail than watch John from Cincinnati. I think the two of us just spent time talking about actors that we have crushes on for 20 minutes instead of surf movies. That's great. Blake Lively is also great in The Town, which is also a surf movie. The Town? (laughs) It takes place in Boston, which is uh, near the ocean, so it counts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you haven't seen The Town, you should see it. And Blake Lively does a great Boston accent in it. She doesn't do a great Boston accent. Okay, I love me some Blake Lively, but she does not do a great Boston accent. I really like The Town. She does not do a great Boston accent. Nicole, was there anything in the show that you liked? You watched the whole season. Yeah, I mean, we did kind of hit on it earlier. I really think that they did a great job casting. I think they found people who would act well, even if they had no idea what the fuck they were acting. Yep. And I liked John. Like I mentioned, I felt empathetic towards him. I thought he was just someone that you wanted to protect. And people like that, especially in this character's case, he seemed to have endless amounts of money. People tend to exploit people like that. So I just felt protective of John. Nicole, I used to have a cat briefly named Unicron. And Unicron, he would sit at the top of the cat tree and then leap off face first and land on the ground face first. And then occasionally he would run straight into the wall face first. And I took him to the vet and they were basically like, he's too stupid to live. Oh my God, David. I felt like that about John of Cincinnati, both the character and the show. Too stupid to live. You can't drop that knowledge on me. Did the, Is that why the cat died? Did you put it down for being too stupid? No, we gave him to a vet and she had to put him down for being too stupid <gasps> because she tried to redeem him. And months David. later we checked in on him and she said she had to put him down. He was too stupid that there was a neurological issue. And I oh. feel like John from Cincinnati has these same neurological issues. I think my heart just broke into a million pieces. Yeah, it's poor little Unicron. I don't like, again, John just annoyed me with his riddles, his talking about his father. It was trying to imply that he was Jesus in the yes. pilot because he mentions his father. Is mm-hmm. is that who he is? Do they give us yeah, that? I mean, I don't, they didn't give us anything, but that is what I took from it. I, I really felt like, It was the second coming of Jesus, and he was warning us that his dad was getting pissed after, what, 400 years? So why would would God send stupid Jesus? Because, like, he doesn't understand anything. Like, why would he send stupid? The original Jesus, God bless him, seemed like a pretty smart guy. (laughs) This was stupid Jesus. He spoke in riddles, too. I don't know if you read the Bible, but... No, Jesus spoke in parables that had a lesson. John from Cincinnati is just a fucking idiot. I don't know, man. I don't remember a lot of the Bible making sense, so. And the, and the Cincinnati piece is really confusing, too, because at some point he and the, the surfer kid disappear. And when they come back, he's just like, oh, we went to Cincinnati. But nobody can remember what happened. So is Cincinnati like heaven or like the desert? Like, is any of this explained? No, no, none of it is explained. OK, everything is left up to your interpretation. The entire last episode, or for many of the last few episodes, a girl is following all of the main characters around, filming them in her hand camcorder. Okay. And John keeps telling everyone all the answers are in the camera. All of his Mm. father's words are in the camera. So these two people are sitting at their computer watching a live feed of the camera 
looking for the answers and there are no answers. I watched one episode. You watched 10 times as many episodes as me. And I think you're more confused than I am. How is that possible? Because I watched it. That may be true. <laughs> uh, so I will tell you this, though. I did love Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill is is amazing in the show. I, I watched some bits and pieces from the other episodes just to see kind of what I was missing. And so he only has a little bit to do in the first episode. But I gather that a lot of what affects Ed O'Neill is that he used to be a cop and he, his wife passed away a few years ago. And in one of the final episodes, he has a scene where he goes, spoiler alert, he goes to his wife's room, which was like her hospice room where she died mm -hmm. and is still set up. Oh, heartbreaking. And he says, I never come up here to talk to you because I don't know when I would start and when I would stop. It's just like, that's great writing. And so David Milch can still write bangers. And Ed O'Neill, he like collects birds and he cares for birds. He tells a story about how he lost a bird and he says that he wanted to tell her about it. And then the bird flies back while he's talking to her. And it's like, you know, is it kind of her? Is it a sign? The missing bird. Oh, yeah. So good. I have no idea what that scene means in context of the greater show, but the way he kind of talks to his wife and tells her some of the story, and it's just a really sweet moment. And then he says, like, I love you. Hold tight. And it's Ed O'Neill comes out of nowhere, knocks it out of the park. And you're like, where was the rest of this in the show that I watched? And was there more of that? Nicole, was Ed O'Neill prominent? It seemed like he was still just a side character. He's definitely a side character. In fact, another side character recounts the entire series in a speech to a bunch of people on the beach, and it also makes no sense. Yeah, the dialogue. So in Deadwood, it really worked for me. It's kind of this old timey kind of weird pattern to it. People kind of talk like as they're thinking. I'll give you an example. Like I wouldn't say, Nicole, I'm getting a glass of water. In Deadwood, I would say, I'm thinking, getting some water, maybe something I'll be doing. And it's like this weird kind of cadence. And I'm like, oh, that's how cowboys talked. It doesn't work in John from Cincinnati, though. It, but it's like the same thing. These folks have this weird, like, tick in their dialogue. They definitely have a tick. They ask the same question multiple times. The answer is the exact same words every time mm -hmm. <laughs> in succession. <laughs> it's... It's nonsense. But if you could pick one thing about the show that you disliked the most, what would it be? So this is a difficult question. I think it is... Asking the hard questions. Yeah. I, I would say that some of these elements that they get into on the show about like politics and there's like, there's weird elements of them trying to prevent like another 9-11 through like surfing. It just seems to me like you had mentioned earlier, like the kind of you know, artsy grad student kind of pitching way above his pay grade. It felt to me amateurish to think that a show about surfing with a weird character who may or may not have superpowers <laughs> may also try to prevent 9-11 and racism against Arabs. Like they mention Arabs a lot. Very, very horribly. Mm -hmm. It's weird. I think that's the most egregious is that in my mind, it was a serious subject matter that this show tried to tackle and just was too shitty to be able to do it. What about you? I mentioned this like film Inception where the young girl goes around and just films people while they're being filmed. It just I didn't know what was happening. But if I did understand what was going on, it would just be very distracting. Yeah. It's like seeing like a boom mic in the scene or, <laughs> you know, really, really predictable dialogue, you know, where you know what they're going to say before they even say it. Yeah. Kind of thing. So 
I just, I didn't like that. It was immersion breaking. What kind of shows would you say that this reminded you of? So if someone hasn't seen John from Cincinnati, you would say, oh, it's a little bit like blank. Well, if you liked Deadwood, you won't like this show. (laughs) Probably a bit like Lost. Okay, I could see that. A lot of people felt that show was hard to understand, especially the ending. And if you like M. Night Shyamalan movies, this bugs for you. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. This does have that. So M. Night movies, and I'm a a big fan of his early work, less so the recent stuff, but I I think he's hitting out some bangers now. He's a fellow Philadelphian. God bless him. That sort of stilted dialogue, I think, that we think is like adding tension or mystery. And you're like, no, it might just be bad writing. I think this had a little bit in common with Twin Peaks, especially later Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. where like they really embraced the weird. Mm-hmm. If I recall correctly, Twin Peaks started off as a police procedural that was a little weird. And then it got really weird, like the Fire Walk With Me movie. It seemed like when when it got popular, they embraced that weirdness. And I think that's how John from Cincinnati starts <sighs> off. I think another show that's similar that I watched some of was Lodge 49. And that was on AMC with Wyatt Russell, who plays the new Captain America, briefly in the Marvel Universe. Lodge 49 was about a young man kind of like down on his luck who pledged a local uh, like fraternity, secret club, secret society thing. And it sort of had these elements of there's weirdness afoot. And you're like, great. And we watched like four or five episodes and it didn't really lead anywhere. I was like, OK, my patience is wearing thin. I mean, there's just so much content out there. That's why the show exists. Like, you get into a show under false pretenses, you're three or four in, you've wasted four hours of your life, and you're like, what the fuck am I watching? And I think that can happen with the best intentions. And and Lodge 49 was one of those where I was like, it's not like excruciating like John from Cincinnati was. Like, I can understand the dialogue, the characters are fine, but you're just like, where is this going? And I think that's tough when we talk, to your point, we talk about streaming, I typically don't recommend shows to people that I say it's going to take you three or four episodes to get into it. Yeah. I can't make you watch half a season before you're, it gets good. I mean, unless it's like really effing good and you just needed all right. that set up because it was worth the bang. But yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I don't think so. So we've kind of spoiled this for our audience. <laughs> Would you recommend John from Cincinnati for our friends who are out there streaming? They're scrolling through their platform. They mm-hmm. see the levitating feet in the air next to a surfboard. And they go, huh, would you recommend it? I mean, this leaves a ton up to your faith, accepting things as they are in interpretation. So if you like that, jump in. I do not mind when people who create a show are smarter than me and spin things up in a way that impresses me or surprises me, shocks me. But personally, I do not like to feel like I'm unable to understand what Mm -hmm. I just watched for 59 minutes and expect a reaction because... It's just not fair. <laughs> like It's not fair that I wasted my time. <laughs> I think you're right. Like You kind of feel like, am I stupid? Because I don't get this. And thankfully, we're communicating together. And, and I, I think we're together. We're a smart person. And, and we didn't get the show. So yeah, and I think you would recommend this, right? If you were getting executed and they said, what show do you want to watch? <laughs> watch John from Cincinnati because you will embrace death. You will embrace the sweet, sweet release oh of death. My God following this show you're so dramatic it's a fucking mess and i mean it's a show called john from cincinnati that is about surfers that is not about surfers it has a guy from cincinnati who may or may not actually be from cincinnati who may or may not be jesus who talks in riddles and so like to your point nicole they they un 
they give more mysteries as the season goes on, apparently, but it's a one show season. So if you want the answers to this, you're never going to get it. So I, I think like, I think it was designed that way. You think so? You think it was like, ah, fuck it. No, I think it was like, let's fuck with people. Oh, let's do the weirdest shit ever. And then get canceled on purpose or never intend to do a second season. So people never know. And it's always like <laughs> riding on their mind. Like, what the fuck was that show about? You think this is David Milch just fucking with us? Like he had I all do. this power from Deadwood. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let me let me fuck with the HBO audience. Listen, I buy that. Well, he did. He was quoted saying, I wrote it in four months and that wasn't adequately respectful to the process. <laughs> well, I don't think that allowing this to be produced HBO was adequately respectful to the process or to your viewers. That is Nicole's button on John from Cincinnati. That is Nicole's hot take is that it wasn't adequately respectful to the audience. (laughs) I think that sums up our thoughts. Uh, Thank you, Nicole. On our next episode, we will be tackling ballers. We liked that a lot better than we liked this, although there's a low bar to clear. Check out our Twitter feed at It's Not TV Pod for further details about our podcast and to connect with our community. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. A very special thank you to our producer, Matt Malone. It's Not TV is a production of Brewit Media. Brewit Media.